Awesome. Well, good morning, church family. I'm so excited to be bringing the third installment of Matters of the Heart series. If you've missed any of it, I would encourage you to go back, uh, take a look. Uh, these, these Matters of the Heart are exactly that. They're kind of hidden away, got in the recesses of our heart. And we want to make sure as a church family that we are allowing God into every aspect, that nothing is off limits because we know when we allow God to just completely take over um, in every area of our hearts that not only do we get healed, we get free. Who doesn't want to live free, right? Uh, we want to live the life that God has for us. And so um, <clears throat> I actually want to remind us of when we kicked off this series, we actually founded it in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. So I want to take us back there before we dive into the text today, because we're going to be unpacking another hot topic Look at your neighbor and be like, uh-oh, here we go. What hot topic? It's, don't worry. It's not lust, and we're not talking about sex today. But we are talking about, and you will probably never hear me uh, talk about that. We'll leave that one to Jeremy. Um, but that's going to be uh, Proverbs 4.23, which is um, we're, we're going to be tackling the topic of envy and jealousy today. So I've actually titled it My Brother's Keeper. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for Everything, come on, say everything. Everything you do flows from it. In fact, we know that envy and jealousy, kind of the first, uh, the first family dealt with this because we know that Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. And so I'm going to kind of ground us in some Old Testament, and then I'm going to pull us through to the New Testament. I'm going to give you, for those of you who like a foundation and a roadmap, I'm going to give you two foundational truths that I think are paramount if we are going to begin to choose to operate in the opposite spirit in the kingdom of God against envy and jealousy, because I think I can give us some practical handles of things that I've been practicing, uh, and I am not perfect, hello, but I have been practicing for a good 20 years, and I promise you, it will begin to kind of help you uproot any seeds of jealousy and envy that may have maybe crept into your heart. You ready for this? All right, buckle up, buckle up. Here we go. We're going to start in Genesis 4, chapter, uh, verses 1 through 9. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and who said the Bible is not exciting? Don't you love when I start with a verse like that? And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain, and she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. And now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the first fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will, you, will you not be accepted? But if you, do what, if, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know. He replied, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? And so what we see here uh, is Cain is actually the older brother. 
And what scholars believe is that Cain actually, uh, what he'd not given his whole heart, his first fruit to God. He'd held some back and had maybe some attitude because how many know you don't go for like, you don't just wake up one morning and be like, I think I'm going to kill my brother, right? Like he'd been entertaining some subtle thoughts along the way uh, of jealousy and some anger that he'd gone unprocessed. And so uh, what we know is that Proverbs 16, 2 tells us that all a man's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. And don't you love God's gracious nature because in his teaching nature, he's saying, hey, hey, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. You have a choice. And this is Old Testament, mind you. So New Testament, Jesus gave us the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to overcome. Can you say amen? I'm glad I'm born in the New Testament here. You know, on this side of the cross, because that means that we have everything we need to overcome. And what we see here is that he's having a dialogue with, with God, and he's like, what? what? Am I, am I my brother's keeper? And so we sense some sarcasm and, and, and kind of a deflection of responsibility. And I am here today, church, to remind us that we absolutely have a responsibility to be each other's keepers. We absolutely do. We are our brother and sister's keepers because it matters to God. Because if you say that you love God, then how can you not love one another? This is God's heart for us. And I have found that it's very possible to show up to church, check the box, and completely go unchecked with things in our heart. I, it is absolutely possible, don't look at me so holy, to do the right things, but yet our hearts be far from God. And I want to just challenge us this morning, as Jeremy has done even with the other topics of matters of the heart, that we would hear the call to come higher. I believe God has a higher calling for us. We know that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And if you have never, ever been tempted by envy and jealousy, come talk to me. I'd like to meet you. Um, because the reality is it knocks on the door of all of our hearts. And we have choices. We have choices. And God has given us a roadmap to overcome. Are you ready this morning? All right, all right. So this word keeper is shamar, to keep, to watch, and to guard. So Webster's definition of envy is actually a feeling of discontentment or resentfulness. Long, it's a long arousing by someone else's possession. So essentially, you want what someone else has. But jealousy, on the other hand, is actually an unpleasant emotion that, uh, that you think you kind of, it kind of, um, I'm trying to, it, 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 it threatens, right, that someone else is going to take your place or they're going to take something that's yours. Have you ever seen two toddlers playing with a toy? I mean, it is ridiculous. They have lost their minds over a toy because it is like, you took what I have. Forget the 500 other toys in the room. I want the one you took from me, right? And so you see it at like its most juvenile stage in toddlers. Um, in fact, Dr. Gwen Seedman, she did some research on jealousy, and she has found kind of three deeply rooted issues. One is low self-esteem. The other is kind of this feeling of possessiveness of others, as well as in, in relationships, and then a fear of abandonment. 
And this, these things can actually cause us to be really possessive and, and, and think that someone else could take our place. And so, you see, even at its most juvenile stage, I, am, um, I'm, I, I had to ask my sister's permission to tell this story because when I was young, I was kind of the athlete of the family. I played lots of different sports. I was never really the all-star, but man, I loved a good competition. And so I would practice because I wanted to make the basketball team. So on Sundays, I would go, or sat the weekends, I would go and I would run because you had to make a, you had like a, had like a 24-minute, three-mile run. Like you had to make it in order to even try out for the team. So I'd go out there and I'd practice. Well, my sister one day decides like, hey, I want to be an athlete too. And she was like a really, she was actually really good. And so I remember to this day, and so does she, trust me, she still tells me this story, that I literally could not believe what I did because I, this jealousy rose up in me and I shove her in the dirt, y'all. And I'm looking at her like, how did you get down there? And I was like, I am the only athlete in this family. And I thought, she tells me that to this day, and I'm like, who are, are you serious? Did I really do that? Right? If, if my almost 40-year-old self could talk to my 12-year-old, I'd be like, girl, you, better, you, better, you have lost your mind. There, everybody can be athletes in this family. Good gracious. But, but now raising two daughters, I see it. The younger's always looking up to the older, even brother and sister. And it's almost like you're, you're, you're to be my brother's keeper. You're, you're, you're to take care. You know, you're to look over me, watch over me. And yet we often, when we entertain even juvenile like seeds of envy and jealousy, it, it thwarts the relationships in our lives that God has in fact, when you get a little bit older, at least for me, it looked like in the workplace, you know? I thought I dealt with it as a kid, and then here it comes in the workplace, and I'm being asked to manage and to lead teams, and it's like, now I need you to train these people to do what you do. And the first thought, I'd love, you to, I'd love to say, oh, great, I can't wait to teach them what I do so they can be better than me. No, don't look at me so holy, you guys. The, the first thought was like, well, well then what am I going to do, Right? You want me to train these people? And they're actually, probably, some of them are just naturally better at this than me. And so I had to begin to make a decision in my life as an adult in the workplace to even say, you know what? I actually want, the goal is actually to bring out the God colors in you, that you would be everything that God has called you to be. And if I get to play a part in that, I'm going to trust that God has the next thing for me. And, but that takes a decision, y'all. And then, and then, and then sorry, my, my, my roots are coming out. You're like, where is she from? <laughs> we, I know, we don't use y'all up in here. We don't do that in, D, in the D.C. area. But sometimes when I get passionate, it just like kind of comes out. Um, and, and the, you know, even in marriage, I can remember our first year of marriage where honestly one of, the, one of the many lessons I learned was that we are not in competition, we're not comparing. Like, I remember really dealing with, like, one of us is not needed here. Like, we have, we are both good at this, right? And so I had to realize, even as a young, immature wife, that, like, hello, we have different purposes. Just look at us, right? We're different. We have different things, and we can actually both have a skill, and yet there's room for all of us right? And so I had to learn some of these things of the school of hard knocks. That was for somebody who's engaged and you've got your wedding date on the calendar and hopefully not for July 10th, according to my husband. But you see, envy is when you want something that someone else has. And that happens. I mean, if you don't believe that happens, just go ahead and open, you have permission, go ahead and open up your social media right now, right now. 
Go ahead, if you don't believe me, and go ahead and take a test over the course of this message. Go ahead and scroll long enough, and I promise you, you're going to see something that you need because the ad knows where you're at. Or you're going to see somebody else's highlight reel of their life, which is like 30 nanoseconds of their life because what you didn't see was the kids going crazy and the fight in the living room and, you know, not talking to each other last night. But we get to see the highlight reels. And so this is so a part of our culture, church, that we have to be mindful of the fact that comparison and envy and jealousy and competition is all around us. It's it's all around us. In fact, here's the dangerous thing. James 3.16 says, wherever you find jealousy and fighting, there will be trouble and every other kind of wrongdoing. That is a concerning verse to me. Because what you think is you entertain one thing and you get a host of un, un unwelcomed visitors because you're inviting a whole host of other things into your life. In fact, James 1.15 says, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. You see, Cain, I don't think, woke up and said, hey, I think I'll kill my brother. No, it was little moments of entertaining these seeds of envy and jealousy. I wish, I wish, I wish. So today, I wanna give you kind of two foundational truths that I think are paramount. You have to have these, you have to replace all the other lies with these two truths if we are going to choose to actively kind of starve out, if you will, the seeds of envy and jealousy. In fact, Jeremy talked about it in one of the other messages around this series that, hey, whatever you feed grows, whatever you starve dies. So let's starve out the wrong things. In fact, it is much easier to pull out the seed than to uproot a tree with bad fruit. Much easier. So today, hear the call of the Lord. Hey, let's check our hearts and let's get rid of some of the seeds that, of envy and jealousy that may be even dormant now, but in the right season, they get watered and you produce a harvest of things you never wanted. And so it's really important today that we lean in into these two truths. You ready for it? Foundational truth number one. We must move from insecurity to a confident identity as a son or a daughter. I'm going to say that again. We must move from a place of insecurity to a confident identity as a son and a daughter of God as our first and foremost thing that we identify with. We must believe that there is no, that no one can take our place. Do you believe that this morning? that no one can take your place. I'm gonna do what, everybody hold up your finger. I'm gonna do what I do with my kids. I'm like, look at your fingerprint. No one else on the planet has your fingerprint. How awesome is that? We have reminders all the time, everywhere, that nobody else can have your fingerprint. In fact, God thought of you, and he, he, he made you, he, he knitted you in your mother's room. In fact, Psalms 139, for you created my inner being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, if I say that and you're kind of like, oh, that's, that's a great nicety. I hear it in my head, but I don't hear it in my heart. You got work to do. Can I get an amen? We all have work to do. Do you know how many times I have said that verse over and over and over and over and over until I believed it? We got we to work the word. The word works, let's be clear. The word works. It's a sword. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. We know that the word of God is God's words. It's his instructions to us on how to live as kingdom citizens. But if you don't put the word to work, then it's not going to work. You'd be like, what? what's going on? What's all this in my life? Because you didn't work the word. 
We gotta work this word and get it on inside of us. He doesn't make mistakes. I don't know your story. I don't know what your birth order was or what the situation or circumstances in which you were born into the world, but I can tell you right now that he formed, he put every hair on your head. He determined the color of your eyes. God has a great and mighty plan for you and it's unique to everyone. Look at your thumbprint. And if you don't own that, in the security of who God has called you to be and and you look around and compare, then you'll miss what he put you on the planet for, to glorify him the only way that you can. That's exciting news, church, because guess what? When I'm not trying to look like somebody else, I can be me. And you can be you, and together we can do great things. Thank you for that. Come on. You know, my dad, growing up, helped a lot of kids. He was a school resource officer for part of his life. And I remember someone once asking me, like, don't you ever get jealous that, like, your dad helps so many people? And I'm like, you know, I do, actually. Uh, when I was a kid, I got really jealous because I didn't live with my dad all the time. My parents were split, and so I didn't get to be around him all the time. And so, But as I grew and as I matured in my understanding and security that I was my dad's only daughter, Do you know that I could walk with my shoulders a little higher? And I was like, you know what? I think that's pretty cool that my dad helps all these people because you know what? They can't take my place because I am confident in who my dad, my dad loves me and he'd do anything for me. Church, we got to take that same stance with our heavenly father. It's my daddy. He knows he's a good, good father and he has created me uniquely and I am his daughter and I don't need to compare myself to you and he can help you, but that doesn't, that doesn't devalue him helping me. And that's an awesome revelation that I wish I could tell my younger self. You know, moving to, from, to a secure identity takes work. I mentioned that. And so I don't throw it around as this nicety, that this foundational truth, so easy. You just got to move from insecurity to security. No, you got to work it out. And you know what? You're going to have to have help. I've had help. You got to work it out. You're going to hear, if you're around Catalyst long enough, we are better together. It is a deeply held value that we believe that we actually know, and research shows that if you want it, the three things, basically the number one ingredient for people growing in their faith is three Christian friends. And I don't mean just like I check the box and go on Sunday. I mean people that are trying to live it out. Live it out. Get some people around you. Summer groups just kicked off. In fact, we're doing a sisterhood lunch. We're about to take over a restaurant because we got to get together with some people who are going in the same direction and say, yeah, me too. And we can celebrate each other along the way because you've heard it too. We've, we've talked about this. If you've been at Catalyst more than one Sunday, you've probably heard us say like, James, James tells us to confess our sins one to another and we are healed. Yes, Jesus is the healer, but guess what? He made us for community. And when I tell you, yeah, you know, I'm struggling with this. Great, let me pray for you. Guess what? We both get healed. It's awesome. It's awesome. That's why you can't, you, you can't do Christianity by yourself. God called us in community. He called us a body. He called us a family. You'll hear us talk about spiritual family. We're, we're iron sharpening iron. Why? Because you reflect a version of Jesus that I don't. It's beautiful. And together, we can become the beautiful body of Christ that he's called us to, church. We can walk together corporately in the identity that he has for us if you'll get in your lane and work to find yours. Thank you for that. Foundation number two, you ready for the second truth? We must move from a scarcity mindset 
to one of trust and confidence in God. God's a good father, and he is going to take care of you. In fact, Matthew 6, 8 tells us that he knows our needs before we even ask. He knows our thoughts. So why are you hiding it? Let's just confess it and get it out there so we can get free. Matthew 6, 26 says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? The next time you see a bird, I want you to think about this. Every time you see a bird, I want you to think, man, they are beautiful, and they don't, like, God takes care of them. And how many things we worry about and, 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 we, and we need to remind ourselves there's no lack in God. In fact, the reason I know that he's Jehovah Jireh that we just sang about is because 2 Peter 1.3 tells us his divine power has given us what? Everything, everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And we got to work that word, use it like a sword. I think I even preached, I like preached, I think I had a sword one time last year or two years ago, I don't even remember. But you got to work that thing. You got to work it. When you don't get that position at work, but your colleague does, I want you to stand on this word. I want you to say, his divine power has given us everything, everything I need to celebrate this person because I know that I'm secure in my father and there is no lack in him. And I know that what he has for me is for me. So that gives me permission and freedom to celebrate my neighbor when they buy that house that you've been working for for 10, 20 years trying to save for and they just buy it. Out of the excess, you can say, well, praise God. Thank you, Lord. There's no lack in you. You know what I need before I even ask. Am I hitting home, church? Come on, come on. When your friend finally gets engaged and you've been, pure, you've been you know, acting and working in purity and working out your purity and holding on and waiting, and they, they come in, look at look, 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 look at my ring, look at my ring. You can be like, you know what? There's no lack in God. Praise God. I can't wait to put that diamond on my hand. You, 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 we got to work the word. We have to remember that, that God has provided everything I need, right? When you've, been, when, when you've been working and praying and praying for kids and, and it's just coming easy to everybody else, you got to work that word. God has given me everything that I need, and I'm going to trust him in his timing, and I'm going to celebrate you. In fact, I'm going to bring an awesome gift to your baby shower. That's what I'm talking, church. We're going to work this thing because we want to starve out any seeds that might have planted in our hearts in the disappointments of life. So now that we have these two foundations, I want to give you three choices. I'm going to call them the three C's. Three C's because three things of, that rhyme like that are just easy, right? They're three and it's three and that's what we do here at Catalyst. So three choices to uproot the seeds of envy and jealousy and guard our hearts because that is what we have to do if we are going to walk this thing out. The first is to choose to celebrate rather than compare. Now, there are opportunities in everyday life, everyday life. Just preparing for this message, I had, I could name you 10 where I've had to make a conscious choice to choose to celebrate than compare. And this, this comparison game is a fire. You don't play with it. It will consume you. It will absolutely consume you. Like I said, take the social media challenge. Go ahead and open your device and try it for a little while and see if it works. 
Luke 12, 15 says, be on guard against covetousness, for one's life doesn't consist of an abundance of possessions. We're, we're working for something much more valuable than that. So we have to choose to practically do the other thing. In fact, I've put this into practice for a long, long time, and guess what? I'm still not an expert. I got to keep working that thing. If I let my guard down, the enemy who seeks to devour us, who prowls around like a lion seeking whom he can devour... Yeah, we have to be on guard. We have to guard our heart against comparison. We have to congratulate our colleagues. In fact, you need to go get them a gift today. The person that got the job that you wanted or the person that just got the house, go buy them a, uh, a housewarming gift today. T today. Go ahead. Put it to death. Put the comparison to death. Go ahead, buy the baby shower gift. Go get an engagement uh, gift for, the, for, for your friends because here's what I know. You are not gonna feel like it. Decisions lead and feelings follow. Do the right thing until the right thing becomes the main thing that you do. Do it, do it. In fact, I think that the last thing, uh, the best medicine for your heart against this comparison game is actually getting vaccinated against this virus of comparison is when you do these things. When you choose to put the word to work in your life and you're like, you know what? I'm gonna choose to operate in the opposite spirit until that opposite spirit, the kingdom, the ways of the kingdom become your main thing. That's your main operating mode because the word tells us over and over, renew your mind, renew your mind. Why? Because what you think about is how you're going to act. They're connected. And so if you think, hey, great, great, fantastic, that is awesome, I'm going to celebrate you. I'm going to celebrate you because I know that my God is not lacking. I'm securing my father and what he has for me is for me. You see, you see how these are working together? You gotta make sure you master it. In fact, Genesis 4, 7, uh, God's talking to Cain, and he says, God is warning Cain of entertaining envy and jealousy. He says, sin is crouching at your door. Master it. You can. You have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. He gives you power to overcome so that we can do it. We can do this together. Have you ever seen racehorses with the blinders on? You ever wondered why? I grew up around horses, and I always thought, man, those are like the goofiest looking things. But you know what? You got you to gotta be willing to look goofy. If, if you want to do this thing and you want to starve out comparison so it doesn't eat your lunch anymore, you got to put some blinders on. Horses like humans get distracted very easily. It's like, oh, rabbit. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, shiny objects, right? The, the horses, uh, the, this racehorse mask literally keeps their eyes focused on the lane in front of them. And so for some of us, Church, and all of us, I'm going to go to say, we, sometimes we have trouble kind of keeping our eyes on our lane, right? And on our own giftings and the things that God's called us to instead of kind of, you know, what do they have over there? Oh, that lane looks better. No, stay in your lane. Put your blinders on. Do what you got to do, honey, because it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Matthew 7, 14 tells us, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Narrow is this road, and only a few find it. Why? Because you gotta work it. Some people aren't willing to work it. You gotta work the word in your life because the word works. You just gotta do the work that makes the word work in your life until you see tangible <laughs> results of, man, God, your word is true, and you begin to grow in your confidence in God. Because when we do, Isaiah 26, 3 reminds us that you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. I can stay in peace. Let me tell you something. The quickest way to get out of peace is get your eyes on somebody else's lane. You want to stay in peace? 
stay in your lane. And that lane may change, but until it does, keep your eyes in the lane that God has assigned for you. Because when you, when you don't, the, bo- the body can't even operate the way that it's supposed to. Can you imagine how silly it would look if like my foot was trying to do what my eye did? Like how ridiculous. But it's the same is true for all of us. God has given us uniquely wired gifts and talents and he's put fingerprints on the inside of us that show the God colors to the world. So why would we wanna be in anybody else? We're terrible impersonators of anyone else. We gotta play our role. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 assures us of this. Only let each person lead the life that God has assigned you. Isn't that freeing? That God has assigned you, not your neighbor, not your sister, not your brother, not me, you. I know it's a really silly example, but growing up, I had really fire engine red hair, and then to make matters worse, Mama, I'm sorry, but she put a perm on my hair, and she is not someone who needs to be doing hair. Um, and then I had lots of freckles and, you know, super pale skin. And so, like, I was made fun of, like, my entire elementary years. So I, got a, I had to get a little headstrong and gritty to make it through. And so by the time I got to high school, um, I still, you know, I kind of began to see the girls who had, like, blonde hair and they were tan. And I just, you know, kind of thought that they were what beauty looked like. And so I began to dye my red hair. Now, let me help you out. You put blonde and red, you get orange. And then if you try to lay in a tanning bed like every, do you see this milky white uh, skin, you put that in a tanning bed over and over and over, guess what you get? Red peeling white. So it goes right back to white. It doesn't change colors. And then to make matters worse, I was like, okay, I finally figured that out. And so I was like, okay, that's not going to work. Let me try to put the tanner that you like spray on. But listen, I'm sure they've like improved their products. But back then uh, it was orange and you put orange on top of white skin, and then it peels, it has this funky smell to it. And so I've got orange hair, I've got red skin, but now I've got a funky tan and I smell. And so I, at one point I looked in the mirror and I was like, this is not working for me. This is, this is not working and it's probably never gonna work. And so I was able to mature into saying, you know what, I suppose God knew what he did when he gave me red hair And I'm sure he knew what he did when he gave me freckles and he gave me white, pale skin. And so, you know what? I think I'm just going to own it. And I think I'm just going to be the best redhead I know how to be. Come on. Some of us need to stop trying to be somebody else and just be you. Nobody needs another version of somebody else. We need you. We need you. Which leads us to our second choice. Choose to collaborate rather than compete. Now, as an, as an athlete, a, a high school athlete, let me just qualify that. I did not, I was not good enough to make it anywhere else, but at least that. I, uh, I, I am an entrepreneurially wired person. Like, I can appreciate a good competition, but in context. So, you know, if you've watched a little kid's game of any sort, soccer, baseball, whatever, like it starts really young, you know, they line up and they do high fives. Like whether you won or lost or whether you kicked it in the wrong goal, it doesn't matter. Like everybody is like, you know, given high fives. And the reason that they do that is to kind of begin to instill this good sportsmanship kind of attitude, right? Have you ever played with a poor, like somebody, like a poor loser? Like it's just really not fun. And you're like, whoa, whoa, 
That is a lot going on right there. And so, like, it's just not, it, it, it's in, it's, you, you should be mature in this, but, like, you're acting immature. So during the pandemic, my husband and I, we were, um, we, we started the Mighty Ducks series after, um, after watching the 1980 version of Mighty Ducks. And so if you have not watched it, I'm really sorry because I'm about to spoil the whole series for you. Um, but, but essentially, uh, they're fighting for the Mighty Ducks name. And the, old, the original Mighty Ducks coach is kind of on the bench. He's been hurt, and he's, like, not coming off the bench. The new Mighty Ducks coach and team are, like, competitive, like crazy competitive and mean. And so if you're not good, you're getting kicked off. So this kind of group of kids that aren't good enough don't get to play. And so this mom is like, whatever, my kid's going to play. So she started a game, she started, a, you know, their own team and they named themselves the Don't Bothers. So sad because the coach told them like, don't bother trying out right? So they're like, great, we'll be the don't bothers, and we're going to kick your butt. And so what they do is they end up like playing the game, and at the very end, they make it to the playoffs, and they end up competing for the actual name of the Mighty Ducks. And the old coach has come off the bench, and he's coaching the don't bothers. The, the coach that's a little cocky and probably needs to lose a few times is actually being really mean and taunting them. Well, he, they, he, he ends up losing. And at the end of the game, this grown man is acting like a toddler. And he stomps off and he's like, you know, I'm, I, I'm changing the rules of the game, you know. And it's like, come on. Come on. Like in competition in its right context, in a mature manner, it works. But when you begin to live out of the spirit, all you're going to do is push everyone else away from you. And you are going to destroy every meaningful relationship in your life. It's not worth it. It's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. On a practical note, if you have multiple children, they fight over everything everything. It doesn't matter what it is. It's this, this constant like competition. And so as a mother, I had a moment a couple of weeks ago where my kids, I just, I sat down and I was watching them. I was like, I just am going to observe this. And they begin to play so beautifully. And can I tell you, I experienced that moment, the moment where you're like, Oh, this is so beautiful. You guys are collaborating. They were, they were helping each other make the biggest cannonball in the pool. They were helping each other get new Nintendo levels. And I was like, oh, this is the joy of parenting they talk about. I don't really experience it very much, but, but when I do, it's so beautiful. And I wonder how much our Lord feels that way. He's like, come on, guys collaborate, celebrate, push each other forward. And can I tell you, man, there is no better feeling from a parent to see siblings get along. How much more does the Lord feel when he sees his people getting along and loving each other well and pushing each other forward? We all get to step into our lanes when we do that. Such a beautiful thing. In fact, Jesus is teaching his, his disciples, his, his homeboys in Luke 22, and they're like, they're like yeah, Jesus, how do I become the greatest amongst these guys? And it's like, really? You're, you're talking to Jesus. And you are still competing for the seat next to him. And he's like, yeah, you want to do that? Great. Be the least. It's actually, it's not really crowded back there. Like, be the servant of all. That's how you do it. Serve one another so that everybody can become who they've been called to be. Come on. That's the kingdom way. 
In fact, I was working on a, a I'm going to call it a pet project because that's absolutely what it, what it was. I was struggling at this particular time to kind of find my lane in this place that I worked. And, and, I, and I introduced a, a tool that really helped people, added a lot of value, and was getting a lot of success and traction. And then my boss was like, hey, can you train these other people? And I was like, oh, boy, here comes the test again. Now I need you to let go. I need you to stay, take a step back, train these people who are probably way better than you to do this. And I'm telling you, I wrestled in private with the Lord around this. And I had to humble myself and say, yes, God, you know what? I'm not going to do the world's way of competing and being cutthroat. In fact, I am going to train these, these women in this particular context, and they are going to be awesome. And that's what I chose to do. Now, it wasn't easy, but there was one particular person on the team who just didn't like me for whatever reason. It was very difficult, even when I tried to be friends with this person. It was very challenging. And she was on the team. And I was like, I'll train everybody but her. No, that's not how it works. And I had to humble myself to my boss's request. I need you to train this woman. And I'm like, oh, anybody but her, please. Do you know that I think that whole exercise had nothing to do with the fact that I need to train? God was, it was training ground for me to get kingdom thinking. That it is time to teach them so that we can collaborate at a higher level and we can impact more people. And so I had to humble myself and die to some immaturity and take a step up and I had to lean into the confidence. Okay, God, okay, if I give this up, where's my space? Oh, I'll make room for you. Okay, okay, God. And so I tested him at his word. And you know what? Two weeks later, that same very person who I had very challenging time with, she was actually let go. And guess what? They asked me to kind of be the, 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 the I don't know, the project pioneer for taking the whole thing that I introduced to another level. So how many know? It had nothing to do with that. But man, when the humble will be exalted every single day time. Choose to be the servant of all. Choose to put people first. Choose to pull out the best in people even when they mistreat you and you don't want to. Decisions lead, feelings follow. Come on. Which leads me to our third choice. You ready for it? Contend for contentment. This word contend is a fight, y'all. It's a fight. You got to fight. You got to fight for contentment. This is so difficult in our world because everything's upward mobility and to the right, right? You want to get somewhere, you got to fight, you got to rise and grind. You got, and I'm not, listen, we love work, by the way. We value work. I think it's a gift from God. And if you missed the series on work, go back and listen to it. It's awesome. But there is a point in which we're striving from a place because we're comparing ourselves to the next person right? And only we know that. We know where the striving comes in. You know, how, how do I know if I'm discontented? Well, when you spend more than you have to keep up with the Joneses. When you overwork your exhausted body and your mind to a point of like, I got to get it. I got to get it. And there's this striving that leaves you exhausted and emotionally empty so you cannot connect with anybody around you. It's that, it's that. It's those little things, those private matters between you and Jesus that are just, they're just kind of like dashboard indicators, the gas lights on. Hey, hey, let's, let's just take, take, take a look. It's easier to take the seed out than the full tree. Let's just make sure this is coming from a good place, right? It's when we choose to continue pursuing accomplishments and trust me, as an achieving type A person, I love it, it's great. It's like, it's, like, it's like an indicator, like, oh, yeah, it's, it's easy for me. 
But I'm telling you, when that becomes the goal and we leave the things that are also important to us in the dust, discontentment can lodge itself into our hearts. And so it's really important, church, that we pay attention to the dashboard indicators before it becomes a full tree of bad fruit that we never wanted in the first place. You know, Philippians 4, verses 11 and 12, talk about Paul. He's writing to a church that he founded a decade before, and he's in a prison cell. So I'm just telling you right now, I wish I was that holy. But if I'm in a prison cell, and I am probably hungry, and I'm dirty, and I'm all by myself, I'm probably like, hmm, who can I encourage today? But let me just see who I can encourage today. Um, and so Philippians 4, 11, 12, he says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So Paul is saying, essentially, and his, his, one of his mentees, 1 Timothy 6, 6, says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. It's great gain. And so you notice he says, I've learned how to be content, which indicates that it's not a disposition or a personality type. We all have to learn it, especially when you live in a culture of discontentment. We all have to work at it. We all have to discipline ourselves. Nobody's exempt from this. In fact, when we think we are, we're probably at most risk. And discontentment is, is like, a, it's like a disease, and it continues to grow because you know what? You feed the monster, it grows. It's never enough. Never enough. It just keeps wanting more and more and more and more when you get the things that you thought would make you happy, and it's just more and more and more and more. So we got to slay the giant. Take it out. Take it out while you can. You know, just this week, I had the opportunity to practice this. yes right after I studied Philippians 4. I lock, Jeremy was uh, out of town for the night and I, I was racing off to practice to take my son to swim practice. I walked out and as the door is shutting, I'm like, no, I, I shut the door and the keys to the house are inside. And I lock it. And it happened to be the coldest night of June. What is that about? Um, and so the, the pool water's freezing. I walked out without a change of clothes. I have the two little ones with me, and we go to practice, and the whole time my son's on practice, I'm calling every locksmith within 50 minutes of my house, and nobody locally can help me, so I end up having to go a little further out. They're about an hour and a half, two hours, which ended up being three hours out from helping me. So I have wet, hungry kids around five or six o'clock, and all the parents said, uh-oh, uh-oh. That is not a situation you want to be in. And so in that moment, I'd like to tell you, I was like, oh, God, thank you so much for this opportunity. This is so great. I love applying your word in this situation right now. It's awesome. No, 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 no. My first thought was like, oh, what in the world? Frustration, aggravation. Man, my plan is off now, and now i got to spend all this money that I didn't plan on. And those definitely, like, give me wet, hungry kids plus spending money that I didn't plan for, and it is a recipe for an opportunity to be very upset. And so I had to take this moment of saying, all right, all right, and I felt the Spirit of God quicken me. He said, Philippians 4, what'd you just study? I was like, hmm. Mm -mm -mm. Jesus, you are a good teacher. I'm telling you, y'all, he will show up in every aspect of your life. It's training ground. Life is training ground for the kingdom. 
And he showed up, and I remember, do you know it changed my attitude just like that? Just like that. And I began to think, man, you know what? The pool's not so bad. I'm not sitting in prison. This isn't too bad. Yeah, it's cold, but at least I have a towel, right? And as I began to challenge my thinking, my attitude began to change. And I actually began to look at the positive side of it, right? So I had an opportunity this week to practice it. You have an opportunity coming up this week. Trust me. You definitely do. And you probably had one last week, but you missed it. So this week, you get to try it again. And this time, you're going to make better decisions. In fact, this culture of dis discontentment kind of reminded me of, of Jeremy and I had just recently gone to celebrate our anniversary and swim in the ocean, and, um, and it was great. And trust me, it's a snapshot because 360 other days of the year, we work in like crazy as parents. And, but man, it was nice. It was nice. And, when, and so normally, I just run straight for the water. But this particular time, I kind of noticed the signs there were like signs and there were flags. And as you know, at the ocean, they have different flags to kind of tell you, is the current dangerous? Is it good swimming weather? Like what's going on? And then they had signs that said there had been an unusual uh, current that had been flowing. And so what had happened was this beautiful sandy beach was covered with this coral that had come up out of the ground that looked exactly like the sand. So you couldn't see it. And I don't know if you've ever stepped on coral before barefoot, but you come up with bloody toes and it is not a fun experience. And so this particular time, I kind of, I, I saw what was happening, and then, um, and so I was at least acknowledged, you know, I knew, knew where to step around it, but then I saw all these other people just running for the beach, and Jeremy and I were kind of, it kind of became humorous at the end, because I was like, man, they, they have no idea what's about to go down. And I had this moment, and I thought, man, it's so important that we understand the culture and the undercurrents of what's going on not only under the undersurface of our life, but in culture, because it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And if you are not aware of it, you're going to have some bloody toes along the way. And the most dangerous thing about the current is actually that it takes you and you don't realize how far you've drifted from the shore. And so it is so important that we don't allow ourselves to get caught up in the current of culture and drift from the Word of God in our lives. Church, we, it, it happens so subtly. We have no idea it's happening. And all of a sudden we are like, whoa, I didn't mean to get way out here. But that's exactly the danger of it. You gotta be aware of your surroundings. You have to be aware that the, a culture of discontentment and comparison and competition is the way of the world. But guess what? We're kingdom citizens. We are sons and daughters of the most high God with a higher calling than that. And he's made a way by the power of the Holy Spirit that's available to you and to me every day to help us come a little higher. I don't know about you, but I want to live in that freedom and in that joy and in that place. And it's available to you and me. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ. we got to know the environment that we're living in. And so we have some, we have some uh, decisions to make. In fact, Leanne Payne, the author of Restoring the Christian Foundation, says this. She says, accepting oneself is the vital step to be taken in order to cross the line of immaturity to maturity from listening to our flesh or listening to God and walking by the Spirit of God. To accept oneself is to be enabled to live out one's true center that is out of the new man or woman, the true self in Christ. And that is why I started with these foundational truths, because if you don't learn and do the hard work 
of understanding, wait a minute, the, the old man is dead, the new, the new man is alive in Christ. And guess what? With being that new man, there's a lot of new ways of doing things. There's choice, new choices to make. There's new ways of living that, that my flesh doesn't know anything about. And so I have to go into strict training in order to access all that God has for me and be my true self. Because that's the only way I'm gonna stop comparing and competing because I know my value in God. And I know my Father loves me. And if I hear His voice every day, by the way, if you're like, how do I hear His voice? Start with just reading God's Word. That's your true north. That's your shoreline so you don't drift. And then you can begin to learn and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, daughter, son, I love you. I'm crazy about you. All your imperfections too, I love those too. We're working on those. I love you. You don't have to come to me perfect. You, you never can be perfect. And that is what, that is how we will walk into everything that God has called us to church. So I want you to make three choices this week. You, I promise you now that you were awakened to it, you are gonna see this everywhere. You're gonna choose to celebrate, then compare. Somebody needs to buy a gift this week for somebody that got something that you didn't get. We need to collaborate with somebody that we really wanna compete with. We need to help them. And then we need to contend for contentment this week. Capture, the, capture those little seeds before they become trees. With every head bowed and eyes closed, just, just out of reverence for each other, I wanna, I wanna create a moment for you to have with God because I know how easy it is to rush out of here back into life and those silent moments feel like they're just hard to hold on to. And I feel like for some of you in the room, it, today you were like, yeah, man, I, I, you know, I've allowed comparison and some competition to kinda, to kinda eat my lunch. I, want, I have good news for you. If you know Jesus, just have a conversation with him. Just tell him you're sorry. That's it. Repentance is, hey, I'm really sorry, and I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to go your way. That's it. For others of you, finding out who you really are is going to require you to do some hard yards, and you're going to have to unpack your yesterdays, and you can't do that alone. For some of you, maybe it's just reaching out to the church here and just saying, hey, I want a biblical guidance so we can help point you in the right direction. Or maybe it's a, it's a counselor so that you can unpack some of the wounds and the hurts because you, you don't want to keep carrying that baggage. You can't get freedom that way. Or maybe for some of you, it's marking your calendars right now to join our freedom course that we offer in the fall. It's 12 weeks, an hour and a half every week for you to deal with some of these issues and get into community with other people so that you can confess your sins one to another and you can be healed. And then lastly, there's a group of you or maybe even online, you're like, who is this God you're talking about? I didn't even know there was another way to live. We don't wanna close the service at Catalyst without giving you an opportunity to make that decision. Jeremy's gonna come in a moment, but, but I wanna pray with you. I'm gonna give you just a moment to talk to him yourself. It's the most precious thing you'll ever hear.